0: This message is from Icon, from community, Icon church. community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro Atlanta and Metro Grace, community, and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org, at iconcommunitychurch.org. or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, a Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. This is uh, the time for those in the Christian faith uh, to champion the one thing that we say undergirds our faith. The thing that gives us incredible hope. Paul tells us that uh, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then their proclamation is false. If their proclamation is false, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our faith is useless. So our faith is wrapped up And this idea of resurrection. Now, resurrection is something that uh, we love to celebrate. And uh, some people call Easter kind of the Super Bowl of Sundays for different churches. Uh, and, And it's a great time to be celebrating. I mean, we are celebrating something that brings real hope and real joy. And there are a lot of details that we tend to focus on. right. We look at Good Friday and we look at the the scourging of the body of Christ and the things that he dealt with on our behalf. And we think about the people who uh, went to the tomb and the people that wanted to see him, the people that eventually did see him. And we celebrate his resurrection. We have so many details about that. And yet there's one detail about or several details related to the body of Jesus that we just don't have. We have we have some things about what Jesus's body may have looked like when he resurrected. And there are, there are some things that we have questions about. And so in our text today, I want us to focus and maybe even think of this question. We know as Christians, we know why it was necessary for Jesus not only, not only to die, but to be resurrected. What that meant to be able to display the kind of power over death, hell, the grave the kind of power proving that he is the very one that can redeem us from our sins and reconcile us completely to the Father. And yet the one question that pops up is why, when he did return, when he did come back uh, from the grave, why did he still have scars? Why did Jesus still have the, the, the bearing the evidence of wounds in his body? Normally, when I think about, you know, what people call their glorified bodies, our bodies being changed in resurrection, uh, you don't imagine seeing uh, any types of scars. We don't know for sure. I'd like to think that maybe my my hair follicles might be restored. I'd like to think that if there were things that were wounded in in my ankle or in my leg that I won't feel that anymore, right? It's good reason to believe that. So why would Jesus have to have his wounds on display? Well, I want us to, to dig into that and I want you to really be thinking through the fact that this, this one principle that I think we kind of lose as Christians, especially as American Christians, that our scars matter because Jesus' scars matter. These scars actually point to something greater, not just about ourselves, but about who Jesus is and how he loves us. We're going to be reading from uh, the book of John. We've been in John for, for a while now. And we're going to look at John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29. It's a story that uh, you're probably familiar, familiar with. It's a story about uh, Thomas. We often call him Doubting Thomas. And this is where we see Jesus making use of his scars, putting them on display. And I think, again, there are some questions we need to ask. So let's read this text together. And then we're gonna gonna really try to see what the answer to that question really is. Why does Jesus still have his scars? Verse 24 of John chapter 20. But Thomas called twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord, And my God, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This, this text jumped out at me, uh, this week, um, as, as we were kind of preparing and figuring out exactly, uh, what do you say on a day, uh, like Easter when we're in the midst of what we're facing right now? I mean, when you look at where we are as a city, as a state, as a nation, wherever we are in the world, there are a lot of uh, questions. There are a lot of uh, areas where we're just not sure and we're uncertain. And there are a lot of scars. Just from this event, this pandemic, there are a, a good number of scars that are being left, whether emotional whether uh, uh, whether physical, those who are uh, suffering very physically from uh, this virus, those who are worried, there are any number of tragedies that are happening. And so the question comes up, how we have brought this up before, what do we hold to in order to have some type of hope and some type of faith in the midst of a pandemic like this? How does Easter bring real hope in the midst of this? And I think... It's impossible for the joy of Easter to really bring joy if we don't remember the pain of the scars in many ways, Easter can be used as uh, we love to celebrate and rejoice. And there are really great times that we have together, depending on whatever cultural background you have. uh, We celebrate Easter differently. Uh, There are lots of really cool things that you might do. Maybe the church tradition in which you were raised did incredible things. Maybe the sartorial decisions that are made and the ways that people are dressed and the clothes and the shoes and the hats. I come from a big hat wearing church mother having type church background. And I love it and it's great. But how, when you're not able to do that, how does this still bring joy? We have to be very careful that the way we worship doesn't become the very object of our worship. There's got to be something that actually brings us more joy than just the nostalgia and the cultural familiarity that we have with the way in which we worship. So we have to go back again to how do we really get joy in the midst of this? And I would submit that unless we can answer the question I began with, why does Jesus still have his scars? Unless we can answer that in a satisfactory fashion, I don't know that we know how to have joy in the midst of this. Because the answer can't be to do what we're prone to do, and that is to take Easter Sunday and use Easter Sunday as a way to kind of bypass the very pain that we talk about and remember on Good Friday. Like we have no problem doing a Good Friday service. We don't have a problem focusing on the pain and the scourging of Jesus's body. But that's just because we know, as we love to say, Sunday's coming. And it's true, Sunday is coming. But I think we have to be careful not to treat the pain of Good Friday as kind of a a succession. And so it's like, okay, as soon as we get past the pain on Friday, we can jump all the way to the rejoicing and the healing on Sunday. And what I believe Jesus shows us is that life with Jesus doesn't really work this way. Think about this. Jesus shows up. First of all, when he shows up on the scene, the disciples see him. They see him and Thomas apparently wasn't with them. Somehow they recognize him. We, we, we learn a little bit about that. And they're so excited and they're rejoicing and they're telling Thomas. And look at what Thomas says. Thomas says, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. So one of the things we know is Jesus returned, uh, resurrected with uh, uh, his actual physical body. It's really important to know that uh, if, had he not, had he taken on just a different body, it would be a very different situation. He actually shows up with his physical body, the body that had been scarred, the body that had been wounded, the body that had been broken. He showed up with that body. When you consider what the word resurrection means, in the Greek, it's the word Anastasis. This is where we get the name Anastasia. It literally means ana, re, stasis, standing, uh, to stand again. Our English word resurrection actually comes from a Latin word, resurrectus or rexis. It's actually the same thing, to stand again. You actually have to have a body that was broken in order to call it resurrected. If it's a different body, it's a completely different situation. I also think it's interesting, you can't even, you can't think about, we shouldn't think about the resurrection of Jesus without thinking of his scars. You can't even sign the word Jesus in sign language without actually taking a certain position that signifies his woundedness. When you think about how to sign the word Jesus in sign language, you take uh, the middle finger of your dominant hand and you point it to the center of your palm of your non-dominant hand to point to exactly where the scars were in Jesus. You cannot see, think, or even say Jesus without truly thinking through and remembering his scars. And so Thomas hears that Jesus has shown up Now they've heard that he would resurrect. We don't know if they really believed it at the time. It looks like the women surely believed it long before the men did. That's for a different sermon. But what we do see for sure is that Thomas is doubting and he doubts to the extent that he goes, listen, I hear what you guys are saying. And I'm not saying that you guys are a liar, but, and this probably looks, think about where they're feeling, what they're feeling and what they're dealing with. They just saw their leader killed. They know there's a good chance that they will be killed if they're associated with him. There's a lot of emotional wounds. There's a lot of emotional scars. There's a lot of us who are faithless simply because of our fear, simply because of the things that have scarred us and and wounded us deeply. Thomas is no exception. And so Thomas is looking and he's going, listen, my scarring is so much that I'm having a hard time believing what you're saying. I need to see. And not only do I need to see, I need to be able to physically attest to these actual scars because those scars are gonna matter for me. And so when you see Jesus come on the scene uh, a week later, I think it's interesting. What's Jesus doing for that week, right? We know that at some point he ate. We know that he ate and drank. We see those in, in, uh, in, in the book of Luke. We know that there were times when he was uh, moving through a crowd. So we know he was physically there. And when he shows up a week later, Thomas sees him and Jesus said to Thomas, verse 27, put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe." Now on on just a very observant level, we at least know that Jesus in his resurrected body clearly had wounds in his hand and in his feet. Luke mentions his feet as well. And we know that he had at least his wound, his, his, his scar in his side. So we know that on some level Jesus and his resurrected body still bore those scars and we can clearly see one reason why those scars were there is to convince those that are faithless, to convince those that are doubting, to convince those that are struggling to really believe. So that that one is almost a gimme. I think people typically do look, they look at the Doubting Thomas story and we look and we say, yes, absolutely. That was a huge reason why he had to have those scars because he had to prove that he was indeed who they hoped and who he claimed to be. And that's not a bad thing. We want to be convinced and we want to be assured. Um, and yet there, there are other reasons. I think there are reasons that we may be prone to overlook. You see, because while Thomas is one that may be doubted and struggled in his faith, there are others that maybe they're not doubting that Jesus really did it, but it's really easy to forget. When you're going through really hard times, when you start having things that physically or emotionally scar, we tend to have really, really short memories. We tend to forget the very things that Jesus promised to do, the things he has done, the things that he's going to do. We, we forget those things. And so there's got to be something about Jesus showing his scars, to the folks who are faithfully following him to go, wow, I'm reminded. Now, what is he reminding them of? Listen, all of us, for not even just during this time, all of us have some form of scarring in our lives. A lot of us have physical scars from all kinds of things. And all of us have some form of emotional, spiritual, mental anguish. Jen preached about this on Thursday. This idea that Jesus demonstrated what emotional scarring looks like. He demonstrated what emotional anguish looked like and how the beauty of God's love and how the beauty of God's mercy is on display in the midst of such emotional anguish. We all have those, we have things that bring real emotional scars to us. We have things that can weigh us down. And in many ways, we often are prone to either A, Act as if those things are not present for us. And why do we act that way? Because we are we're really we know that a lot of people won't be able to connect to that scarring. We know that a lot of people won't be able to connect to that type of pain. And either we don't wanna be a burden on people be, by forcing them to have to feel something that maybe they just can't. Or we just don't know that, we, we know that it's a really lonely place to feel a thing only to know that the people around you just can't feel it. You see, there's something about being reminded that Jesus has scars because it means that no matter what my scars are, I'm not alone in them. Whatever, Wherever my scarring is, I have to be reminded that Jesus had every sense of physical and emotional scarring. You know, it's, it's when, when you think through uh, things that you're prone to do, the things that I'm prone to run uh, away from, I'm prone to run away from community if I feel like that my scars are either going to push them away or they won't be understood by the people around me. And so I will just retreat and I'll find other ways to handle myself by myself. But see, that's where real sin begins to happen because my scarring, whether emotional or physical, If I don't have a place to go, or if I don't have a person to take that to, then I start to, in many ways, trust myself maybe too much. My identity becomes shaped by my ability to endure really hard things. And so in many ways, whether I mean to or not, I can start to make myself the hero of my story. You know why? Because I'm a person that survives. I'm a person that perseveres. I'm a person that went through so many things and yet I still made it to the top. I'm a survivor. And you see what these scars show? When we look at Jesus' scars, he shows you don't have to be the survivor. I endured suffering so that your suffering will never be the final word. Jesus shows up in his glorified body with scars in order to say this, While your sin is the reason why I had to be wounded, why I had to be bruised. Scripture says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We know in Isaiah 53, what that was pointing to this this inward uh, uh, bent that we have to wander. The the psalmist said, uh, the hymn writer said, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Why? Is that prone, why do we have that proneness about us, right? Why do we feel that proneness to wander? There's this thing, this feeling, this sense that begins to metastasize in our spiritual essence and and we begin to start looking to other things. We start looking to ourselves sometimes. I've got these scars, I've got these wounds, I'm looking for real redemption, I have to find it in myself. And Jesus is saying, no, the very scars that you feel, you weren't alone in them. In many ways, I was wounded by you in order for me to be wounded for you so that you no longer have to succumb to this and you no longer have to feel like this will be the final word in your story. When you look at who Jesus is and you look at why he comes on the scene the way that he does, you see that he wants to convince us And he wants to encourage us in a way that, that, you know, we were talking before and thinking through like, man, we don't know exactly what heaven will be like. And we don't know what it will be these new heavens and new earth. But there's something about how seeing Jesus' wounds, if we're seeing his wounds in these new heavens and new earth, when eternity is here, I think that one thing that we won't do when we see those wounds is mourn. You see, we mourn now and we should. Good Friday, good Friday, we spend that time mourning. Sunday, we spend that time celebrating. I think Jesus is showing us that both of those things should be true at the same time. There's no reason why uh, Easter Sunday should be used to gaslight the pain of Good Friday. There's no reason why good, uh, Easter Sunday should be used to kind of escape Good Friday. We should be able to hold both of those in tension but the beauty of when the resurrection happens, we no longer will have to be moved to, to be in a place of these rhythms of mourning and praise. It'll just be praise. See, right now we, look, we, can look at the, we can look at the wounds of Jesus and we can mourn it and mourn with hope. We can mourn and we mourn the fact that, man, our sins put him there. Not only that, but I'm mourning not just my sin, but I'm mourning the evidence of the sin in the world. I'm mourning the brokenness, I'm mourning the pestilence, I'm mourning the ways that the earth seems to be groaning out and desiring his restoration. I can see that and long for that. But on the other side of eternity, I can look at those wounds, those scars, and have nothing but praise to go, wow, that is... Ever, this ever present example of how Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. Those wounds now, they won't just bring uh, mourning. They're going to bring praise. I'm going to be constantly remembering this is who Jesus is. He's the one who made all things new. He's the one who in in the midst of certain pain and certain struggle still said, that's not the final word. So every time I see those scars on that side of eternity, it just makes me praise. It just makes me worship. Because maybe when we're in our struggle now, yes, it's hard. Sometimes I wonder, is this going to be it? Is this just life? Is just life just about the pain and the struggle? I think one of the biggest things that we can look at when uh, when we see Jesus is a Savior that says, I can identify with you. One of the hardest things to deal with when you're scarred, when you're wounded, is to feel like you're alone. One of the hardest things to deal with is to feel like I have nowhere else to go. There's no one else I can turn to. And so I start looking to other things to be functional saviors. I start looking to other things to start giving me a reason, giving me some way to distract myself. We were talking about just the timing of this epidemic, this pandemic and how we are now in the week that uh, experts are telling us will be the peak time for people who are both getting sick and possibly even passing away. And this is such a hard time because if there ever was a time where we need to struggle for real faith and joy, this would be the time. And we're not talking artificially struggling. That's that whole Easter Sunday glossing over what happened on Friday. We need to hold them together. We need to be able to celebrate and still go, Lord, I don't have the option of distracting myself the way I would have before. There are many folks like myself, sports is a great outlet. Love to be able to watch certain things that certain sports that are being played. Some of us love to be able to get away, to be able to go to a concert, to be able to just gather. Those are good things, but they can function as distractions. Right now, we are forced, we are in a place where we don't have any other choice, but to question, what is my true faith in now? What gives me true hope right now? Because I'm living in a place where there's just nothing but scars coming. And if I don't have a savior that is acquainted with scars, I don't have a savior that can truly handle my pain. I don't have a savior that I believe can truly understand where I am. I don't know that I can trust him. But Jesus says, you can trust me because there's not a thing you feel, either emotionally or physically, that I haven't already felt. And I felt it on your behalf so that this will never be your final story. This is what we hope in. This is a savior that we believe that we can trust. So y'all, when you think about right now, I, I was thinking about this and I just thought, call it whatever. I don't know what it is. I don't know why God does what he does. I would never begin to try to give a false connecting of the dots to make everything make sense. Pain and suffering, they just don't make sense. These uncertainties that we're feeling, they don't make sense. But what does make sense is Jesus says, I'm going to be with you. I will always be with you, even until the end of the age. And what that means for him to be with us He's not with us in, uh, in, in, in saying, you know, I just don't know that I, these scars, they look a little ugly. Cover those things up. That's what we do, right? We use clothing to cover up physical scars or we use the past to cover up uh, emotional scars. And Jesus says, no, I'm gonna meet you exactly where your scars are. And I'm not meeting you in this sense of like, poor you, you're just so scarred and so messed up. He's going, hey, I'm scarred. I had scars. I deal with scars. I still have them now. I want to make you trust That I can handle all of you. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to put social media posts giving this impression that you're better off than you are because I want to meet you exactly where you are. And I'm not a person that's going to fake it because I truly went through it and I have the wounds to prove it. It says something special when we have a Savior that's acquainted with our suffering. It gives us real hope to know we have a savior that knows what it means to deal with emotional anguish and true breaking of his physical body on our behalf. When I look at uh, who Thomas is, we can definitely see a part of ourselves at times. But I think that we need to also look at uh, the people who typically, when we look out, when we look through the, the rest of their lives, some of these apostles and these disciples, we see areas where they start to doubt. We see areas where they begin to be faithless. And that's the reason why Paul can say in First Corinthians 15, that's why he says, if the resurrection isn't true, we are among the most to be pitied. There is no real hope outside of the resurrection. There is no real hope outside of a resurrected, wounded savior because I have hope for the life to come. But as long as he has those scars, it means I have hope for the life that I'm in. It means that he is acquainted with the scars that I'm having right now. So here's the thing. That doesn't mean that, that uh, being a Christian and following Jesus means that we will be all together fixed on this side of eternity, whatever fixed means. But we feel the pressure at times to give that impression. We feel the pressure at times to go, listen, I want people to know that I really, really know Jesus and that I really walk with Jesus and that I, I really love him and that I trust him. So to admit any of my brokenness, which w- would be to actually admit that I'm not fully formed by Jesus somehow. And that is a lie. We have to know that that is a lie. If that is the way that you function, if that's the way that you give your testimony, please be careful because you may be alienating folks. You may be making people feel like that there's no way they can truly come clean or be honest about the things that are really wounding them, the things that are really scarring them. Cuz they're like, well, if you're good and all of your scars are gone, then I suppose I'm just not where I need to be yet. Because if I were there, maybe I'd be scarless the way that you are. But here's the problem. Our savior isn't scarless. Our savior is not someone who shows up and says, hey, I'm gonna show you what it means to truly be fully fixed. And here's what fully fixed means. It means no scars anymore. No, Jesus loves us and he loves the scars. And the goal with the scars is not necessarily to show that we are fully formed and good. The goal of the scars is to say on this side of eternity, I trust in my scarred savior to be able to sustain me, to endure until he fully, completely restores this in the end. One of the things that we want to remember and one of the things I wanna encourage all of us to do is this Easter, spend time holding both the pain and the scars of Good Friday with the joy and the celebration of Easter. They need to be married because what we saw when Jesus showed up for his disciples, we saw him combine the Good Friday suffering and the celebratory Easter Sunday. We see him showing up, this resurrected savior with wounds and scars in his body. I'll close with this story. There's a story that's uh, told about a young man who uh, lived, he was an orphan and he lived with his grandmother and uh, their home caught on fire. And the grandmother had tried to go up the stairs to rescue her son. And while uh, she was trying, she just wasn't able to make it and she passed away uh, in that fire. And the orphan boy was still on the top floor, just shouting for help, clamoring, hoping that someone would hear him and hoping that they would be able to rescue him. And there was a man who uh, climbed up a drain pipe in order to get to the boy. And he climbed up, put his hand on this hot drain pipe, climbed all the way up, grabbed the boy. The boy jumped on the back of his, uh, jumped on his back, held on to his neck as the man climbed back down the drain pipe. Now fast forward, there was a big uh, time, a big court case where they were trying to determine who would have custody of this young boy. And so there were a number of people that had showed up to the, to the trial. Apparently this boy, people knew who he was, and so at one point, there was a farmer that showed up that wanted to, to, be, uh, to be a part of, to, to raise this young boy. There was someone else that was a banker in the town that uh, was a hardworking man that people knew that wanted to raise this boy. And there also was the wealthiest man in town uh, as well who had all of the financial wherewithal to give this boy everything that, that he could ever want or need. And the entire time that the trial was going on, the boy was just looking at the floor, dejected. The boy knew that whoever I go to, they'll never understand my pain. They'll never understand my suffering. They, still, they may be able to provide some good things for me, and that's true, and I'll be thankful for that. But there's al- there are always going to come those times where I'm remembering what it was like to be in that burning house, remembering what it's like to lose my grandmother, remembering what it's like to look death in the face. None of these folks are going to understand what that is. Am I just going to have to hide that pain so as to not be a burden to them? Am I just going to have to fake it in front of everybody? There's really no win for me because emotionally I'm going to end up being alone. So he's looking down at the floor and he's dejected. And then the doors of the courtroom swing open and a man walks through. The man has his hands in his pockets and he slowly takes his hands out. And on his hands, you see the burns from the hot drain pipe that he had climbed up to save this boy. The crowd gasped, the boy jumped off the stand, ran to the man, jumped into his arms and wrapped his arms around the same neck that he held on when he was being rescued. There's something about jumping into the arms of a savior that has wounds on his hands, that has scars on his side, that says, you are not alone. Because while you were being scarred, the scars that you feel, the wounds that you feel, I feel them. I went through them in order to rescue you. We have a savior that doesn't leave us alone. We have a savior that doesn't require us to bury our scars. We have a savior that showed up, resurrected with scars in order to say, I loved you so much that even though I was scarred because of you, I was scarred for you so that your scars will never be the final word. So this Easter, when we think about, when we use our phrase, let's make sure that these phrases are not perfunctory trite phrases any longer. Let's ensure when we say he is risen, he is risen indeed with the power and the authority to conquer death, hell, the grave, and every one of our scars, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Father, I pray that you would be with us as we are trying to navigate these difficult times. God, whether it's uh, through the coronavirus, whether it's our own individual personal scars, our personal issues, the things that weigh us down, the things that make us lonely, the things that make us feel alone. Father, I pray that you would uh, give us this sense that we are not alone and that our scars are, are, are things that you enter into. God, we don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to hide them. Father, we can engage them and actually feel a sense of safety. God, will you give us wisdom to engage each other? Will you give us your heart? Give us your compassion to be able to bear with one another and to bear one another's burdens, as you call us to do. Father, I, I see that as a call to bear one another's scars. So God, help us to do that. You said that even as you are sent, that's the way that you send us. So Lord, you were sent bearing the scars. You were sent engaging those that are scarred. So God, give us the wisdom and the patience. Give us the ability to be able to do that, albeit imperfectly, as we long, as we are eagerly anticipating your return to once and for all, make all of our scarred bodies and our scarred souls and this scarred world to make all of it new. We pray that now in Jesus' name, in the name of our risen, scarred Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.